Welcome to the Sports Talks Podcast with Dr. Ashley Bassett and Dr. Katherine Logan. On each episode, we chat about the most recent developments in sports medicine and dissect through all the noise so you know which literature should actually impact your practice. Today, we're coming to you again live from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons annual meeting in Las Vegas, our largest orthopedic conference. If you haven't listened to our previous mini episodes, what are you waiting for? Go check out our first mini episode to hear all about AOS meeting and our special guest, Dr. Brian Waterman. But today, we're going to dive right in. We are supported by Sports Med IQ, where you can find all the tools you need to be your best in sports medicine and recovery. Go to sportsmediq.com to access blogs and a weekly newsletter highlighting the latest research and trends to care and injury prevention, treatment, and recovery. You also find links to each of our podcast episodes, access to educational courses, and links to our favorite products. I created this site to house all that I've learned over the last two decades as an orthopedic surgeon, physical therapist, and personal trainer. So check out sportsmediq.com for all your sports medicine needs. You can also find links and code information on our Instagram page. Our third poster is titled Pediatric Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reconstruction. Adding lateral extraarticular tenodesis resulted in similar return to sport without increasing pain scores. Ted Ganley and his colleagues at CHOP performed a retrospective chart review to determine first clinical factors that motivate surgeons to perform a lateral extraarticular tenodesis or LET at the time of ACL reconstruction, and second, to compare early clinical outcomes between patients who underwent an ACLR alone versus an ACLR with LET. We did our first overtime episode on LET back in November of 2021. So if you'd like to learn more about this procedure, including the indications and its clinical outcomes, go listen to that episode. Briefly, the addition of an extraarticular stabilization procedure, such as an LET or ALL reconstruction, has been shown to reduce the risk of graft rupture in adults, but there's limited studies in the pediatric population. The authors found that the Byton score for the ACL plus LET group was significantly greater than that of the ACL alone group. Second, LET procedures were more commonly performed in revision surgery rather than primary ACL reconstruction. This study suggests that greater ligamentous laxity as measured by the Byton score, as well as the patient requiring a revision ACL reconstruction, may make surgeons treating pediatric patients more likely to offer LET or ALL reconstruction. Lastly, the study suggests that the addition of LET resulted in similar pain levels, sports clearance times, and post-op mobility compared to ACL reconstruction alone. So this area certainly has limited literature in the PD population. Brian, do you feel you need to know more before adopting this in your pediatric population? If so, what should future research try to address? Yeah, I'll I'll be honest. I was a little hesitant to do it in the primary setting um, and uh, and had been more judiciously using it in a revision Mm -hmm. type of scenario. We then uh, joined the Stability 2 trial group. Um, as you may recall, Stability 1 was Al Get Good study, multi-center, and uh, that looked at hamstring with or without LET, or the modified Lemaire procedure. And they found that at least maybe up to half those individuals can have a, a risk reduction in secondary failure. They also show um, lower rates of laxity. So I think there are two endpoints that you can really hang your hat on in that. Um, When it comes to stability too, we're looking at patella tendon and quad tendon, and so what we want to see is, does the risk of secondary re-rupture, does it get dampened by the addition of the LAT? So, you know, we're including everybody from 14 on through 25, high-risk subset, recurve bottom, bait greater than four, 
and uh, those are individuals that are being randomized and through that individual experience has told me that one there's very limited donor morbidity two you can do it very safely especially in somebody that has open feces although it's an exclusionary criteria okay. uh, and then three um, I, I think it, there is a protective effect and oftentimes when I'm counseling patients about this as a potential research study, often they say, hey, I don't want to be part of the research study, but if there's a chance that it could help me out, I'd like that. So I opt out of the study, give me the LAT with whatever your graft of choice, which is fascinating. What grafts are being included in that study? Is it all a quad, patella, and hamstring? So four groups, patella tendon with or without LAT, quad with or without LAT. Okay, so no hamstring. No okay. hammy. Got it. And so that's going to be uh, upwards of 1,200 individuals enrolled, the largest ACL study. I think what this does for me, though, it really looks at that unique patient subset we know to be at high risk, right? Pediatric and adolescent group. Um, we had the fortune of having this as being one of our featured featured um, uh, papers on the poster tour that we had the first day, and uh, fantastic discussion. They're pooling a lot of their data from their single center, so there's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? Primary revision, variety of different graphs, um, different techniques utilized. Um, what I take from it is, even in a higher risk subset, right, because they had higher uh, bait and score, and maybe a, a higher activity level, they had a lower re-rupture rate in the LAT group, and uh, they showed that the pain scores were actually better in the LAT group and the promised pain interference. That's better than the initial study by Getgood and his team found pain was higher and recovery of quadrant yeah. was also slower, but that by 12 months it was all equalized. Exactly. So that's interesting that yeah. that pain was lower in the LAT. Yeah, group. and what they showed in their secondary study was is that at 12 weeks the pain scores were pretty on on mm -hmm. par with each other. Yeah. And I tell patients that I think we've also gotten some useful feedback on how you can maybe stack the deck even more towards less pain. Um, one of my colleagues, Bruce Levy, and I were having this conversation, and he says, you know, a lot of people will close that IT band defect completely. He said, I close it to just uh, uh, shy of the joint line, and uh, that's to prevent muscle herniation. But if you do too much of that, it makes it excessively tight. I think that the um, staple fixation is also another pearl that I've um, uh, taken from this study, there's a higher rate of secondary hardware removal, mm -hmm. so I generally go with an all-suture, not less mechanism. I think that's really nice as well. Nice, yeah. I like that. I do that as well, too, and um, I like it because it's a lot smaller, and I feel like tunnel convergence is a real concern yeah. uh, with those, so I, I like that technique a lot. So I think that's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing the results of stability, too. I think it's much more applicable to sort of how um, both you and I actually practice, so with quads and BTB, um, so more so than hamstring, I really am looking forward to seeing these results um, and hopeful for th good things to come. But I also want to bring up, uh, you were on a panel um, at AOS about this topic. It wasn't just pediatric. You guys spoke about um, late adolescent as well as adult patients when you were doing your case studies for this AOS panel. But so I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on how this is going to change your practice or where you see LET fitting in. 
Yeah, so I'm really excited to finally talk about LET with a voice. So if anyone was in, in attendance at that panel, they know that I had no voice and I was not able to articulate my thoughts and how much I love the addition of LET to high-risk ACLs at there because I had no voice. But now my voice is back and I'm so happy to talk about it. So here we go. So I think LET really is the future. Uh, there's studies coming out left and right just talking about the addition of LET to high-risk patients. So what is a high-risk patient, right? Well, the Alan Getgood study, the original stability study, found that patients with generalized ligamentous laxity, so a Baten score of greater than four, um, knee hyperextension greater than 10 degrees, um, cut participation in, in competitive cutting and pivoting sports, mm-hmm. um, they categorize those three as high-risk. And in their study, you need to have two of those three in order to qual- in order to be deemed uh, high risk in terms of being in that that cohort. So there's a new study that just came out by Kyle Bork and his team at the Fortius Clinic in London um, that looked at the addition of LET to primary ACLs in elite athletes. So the only high risk was the fact that these were elite athletes and they found a significantly decreased risk of ACL graft rupture. So suggesting that we should be broadening these indications. So I think this is a great paper because a lot of times, especially with literature and research, we we tend to shy away from implementing some of these things in the pediatric population. But we know that pediatric patients are at significantly increased risk of having an ACL retear. Young age is, is a very high risk factor. And having an ACL injury is an increased risk factor of having another one. So I think the addition of an LET can decrease the risk of ACL graft rupture in this population. So I'm, I'm really excited. I was really excited to see the results of this, this paper um, or this poster. And I look forward to, to reading the paper and, and seeing seeing more come out about this. Yeah. And I think it is great that it didn't slow down the recovery. Um, Do you change your post-op recovery, like your protocol? I do not. I do not. Um, So, you know, it should be the same, but they do have an additional incision. You know, I know that if I use adductor blocks, which I generally do, you know, you're not getting that lateral pain coverage as well. Um, So it's good to see that they had similar pain levels. And I'm not surprised um, that they had the same sport clearance times because the rehab protocol shouldn't change. But, you know, seeing that the post-op mobility uh, was same to... um, ACL alone is also a good thing. So happy to see all these results. I do think it is um, going to be a bigger and bigger part of our future. And I'm excited to see those stability two results. Yeah, I was really looking at this. I was surprised about the pain levels being yeah. comparable because the stability study did show that initial pain was higher. I think it equalized around six months post-op mm-hmm. um, and that there was some um, quad strength deficits, but those also equalized at 12 months. So, you know, you can tell your patients, we're not going to change your recovery. It may be slower. You may have more pain, although this poster suggests you won't, but ultimately in the end, everyone has equivalent clinical outcomes in terms of patient reported outcomes and equivalent return to sport. And that's, I think what really matters. Yeah. And I think some of that stuff they'd really have to select out for uh, revisions. Like if this is a revision population, I also expect that sport clearance time is going to be a little slower. Post-op mobility might be a little bit slower. Like all these sort of things are going to affect it. But if it's more of just a, hey, this is a high risk person, this is the primary reconstruction, then, you know, it seems like it's just going to be pretty standard fare, which is exciting. Absolutely. 
thank you for listening to this mini episode of the Sports Talks. We hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as we did. On the next mini episode, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Brian Waterman and shift our focus to hip arthroscopy and discuss the impact of age on time to achieve acceptable clinical outcomes. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on all things sports medicine. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review. You can also reach us by email at thesportstalkspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at thesportstalkspod. We love your feedback.